When we go to bed, we're on our phones, we're scrolling through Instagram, we're looking at YouTube, we're doing all these things and we lose track of time. And then when we try to go to sleep, we're thinking about what we just saw, what we just watched. And it just detracts from what we should be doing, which is sleep. No one is exempt from sleep. We must succumb to its embrace each day, even if we resist embracing it back. But has the advent of the smartphone and other digital devices in our bedroom distract us from what we need? Does the lack of sleep have greater effects in other areas of our lives? I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Glad you're with us today on The Thought Factor, Jason. It's good to be here again with you. It's always good to be here, to be able to talk students, talk ministry, talk thoughts, and whatever comes to mind. So we are definitely going to be doing that today. We, uh, We get excited about these episodes as we're putting them together. The last one, the interview with Nick from my small group, seventh grader, talking about students and race was really interesting. It was pretty interesting. Hearing the conversation between you two, it was interesting just to get his take from coming from South Africa and moving here to America and and his perspective on race and racism. And it just was an interesting take from a middle schooler. Yeah. So if you didn't hear that, that was our last episode. And then the next one coming up, we've got another pretty interesting interview with the chaplain for the New England Patriots. Jack Easterby. And my deal is I grew up in Indianapolis and being an Indianapolis Colts fan, those guys, I'm saying those guys with like a... The giants kind of, a, of, a, of NFL. I'm saying it with like a stink eye right now looking oh. at you, like thinking about the Patriots. They broke our hearts, the Colts, many years. But it's a great conversation, just saying. Yeah, he is on the Thought Factory podcast to discuss sports, students and sports, the the demand of the sports realm in a student's life. And so he has a great perspective as well. It was a great conversation. Yeah, I loved his zealousness for his faith and how that integrates into what he does with sports and get to hear a little bit of his background. So looking forward to that. That's a great episode. We continue to talk about what's happening with students and what we're getting into here. This is kind of a three-part series here that we're doing about students, about their time, about their schedule, about sports and sleep, all the things that are crowding into our lives and their lives. And those of us as youth workers, we feel it on the end of their connection to the ministries that we're having, whether they're campus ministries or youth group church things, and uh, also as parents listening, just trying to figure out how we squeeze everything in. And uh, what we're going to talk about today, interestingly enough, we're going to hear from students directly, but then we're going to get into what what I think is the source of why time has become such a big issue in our world today. Some of the questions that we were asking is in regards to these three topics, the sleep, aspect, the schedules aspect, and the sports, mainly going in a student's life, their time that they're spending, they're spending a lot of time on sports, and are they able to manage their time effectively, and are they getting enough sleep to be able to function properly, to function at school, to function at home, to function in the activities that they're involved with, 
as well as is their faith. We're going to, yeah, get to what I think is really the source of that at the end of this particular episode. So right now what we're going to do is jump into students' responses themselves. We interviewed students all over the country. You're going to hear audio, and we're going to hear from them about their sleep habits. Are they up all night on their phones? And some pretty interesting responses from them in terms of just really raw reactions to, to the questions we ask them about. What kind of rest are you getting? You up all night? You're looking at your phones, etc. I have a bedtime of 8.30, which I do go to my bed at 8.30, but I do not go to sleep at 8.30. I usually end up going to sleep around 9, 9.30, but I get a regular amount of sleep, but Sometimes when it's like really when I'm really stressed out or there's a lot going on, I don't sleep well, so I'm just kind of up all night. On school days, I usually like go to my bed at like 9:30. I don't really fall asleep or like really go to bed until like 10, 10:30 and sometimes even 11. And on weekends, it really just depends on what I have going on or if I have any plans. It honestly varies. Like I don't really have a consistent sleep schedule which is kind of unhealthy, but... Personally, I get um, the average amount of sleep that is, like, recommended by doctors, which is eight hours, but, like, I, I always feel pretty tired in the morning. Um, I do sleep with my phone next to me, um, but I'm more of a um, staying-up-late type person, so, like, it takes a while for me to fall asleep. Um, so I personally don't get enough sleep each night. I probably average like anywhere from five to six hours every night. And um, I, don't, I don't sleep with my phone next to me, but I do have my laptop and that can be a distraction and kind of cause me to lose focus and just not get sleep, which is not good for school and stuff. All right, let's talk about what happens on a school night when you go to bed? What time do you usually go to sleep on a school night? I stay up playing Fortnite. I don't go to sleep. <laughs> so you're up playing Fortnite. What time do you think you usually go to sleep on a school night? Right. 12 or something. Okay. Or 1. How about you? If I'm most uh, tired. Generally, around 10 or 11. I normally, like, go to bed, like, stay in my bed around 9, and just watch, like, TV or YouTube for, like, half an hour, just because, but then, like, the blue light keeps me awake for, like, another hour. Not you. I go and turn off my light by 10, but I don't go to sleep. I stay up on my phone for a long time. So, midnight, you think, average? I mean, it wait. Uh, sometimes I fall asleep at midnight. Sometimes I fall asleep at two. Sometimes I mean, it depends. So. Okay. Um, I go upstairs to like prepare to go to bed at nine o'clock, but I'm just on my phone until it dies, and I fall asleep. Whichever one happens first. Normally on a school night, I'm on Facetime or talking to somebody till like three o'clock in the morning. So like three or four. So since I'm not a morning person, like. I'll go to sleep early, so I, when I get up, I won't, I won't like be all grudgy. So I'll probably go to sleep at like ten o'clock. What time do you usually get to sleep on school night? Like three a.m. Four or five, and then I got 
go to sleep in school? Probably between uh, 10 and 12, just because um, usually for school I'll be doing a lot of work, and I like to procrastinate a lot, so I'll put the work off. I would say I normally go to sleep around 10 p.m. to 12 a.m., and sometimes a little like after 12, so, and I would say that because, like, I do sports and everything, so... I do come home and I am tired. Mine's probably 10 p.m. to 12 a.m. because I feel like that gives me enough time to at night get my work done and get ready for bed, take a shower and all that, and then have enough time to sleep and then wake up early in the morning for school and all that. What time do you usually go to sleep? Not to bed, but to sleep on a school night. 10. Uh, I have sleep problems. I've gone, like, usually it's 2 or 3 in the morning. Same as him, 2 or 3 in the morning. Depends on how my anxiety is. It varies a lot anywhere from like 11 to 3. I would say using my phone absolutely affects how much I sleep. Um, I've noticed that if I'm on my phone a lot before bedtime, I have a harder time falling asleep. So another thing that I would rather do than that is pick up a book before bed, keep it in my bed, read until I fall asleep. My phone definitely affects my sleep schedule, and I think that's the reason um, I'm up so late when I am up so late, and it absolutely has everything to do with my sleep schedule, and I think just school and stress has to do with it too. I definitely think that um, our phones have a ton to do with our just society's sleep level like not maybe just teens but just everyone and I think a lot of people will um, blame it on stress and blame it on homework and everything that's going on and that is a huge part of it homework and stress and everything I do I'm a firm believer that that's a big part of it but I think our phone just adds to that stress and adds to that um, not being able to fall asleep because we're scrolling through all of these everything and there's an unlimited amount of time you can be on it it's just always right there so one thing that I've noticed is that uh, the the more time there is before the last time I've seen a screen and when I try and go to sleep has a huge effect on uh, not only getting to sleep but also the the quality of the sleep that I can get and so one thing that I try and do as much as I possibly can unless I'm like finishing a homework assignment last minute or something is like turning my phone off 30 minutes before I go to bed and take that time to like go talk with family or just get ready for bed and then go straight to sleep without so like setting my alarm doing all that stuff beforehand and then sort of just disengaging and then trying to get some sleep. I know as students we always get kind of like a little bit upset when people are like oh you're addicted to your phone you can't put it down but in reality it's kind of true. When we go to bed, we're on our phones, we're scrolling through Instagram, we're looking at YouTube, we're doing all these things, and we lose track of time. And then when we try to go to sleep, we're thinking about what we just saw, what we just watched. And it just detracts from what we should be doing, which is sleep. Wow, hearing those students talk about their sleep habits, it brought back some memories for me from high school, but... I, for one, Jason, I'm really glad I did not have a smartphone in high school. I'm glad those weren't around because I probably would have been up all night. It would be a, a very hard thing to avoid is is knowing that it can be 
a device that is always around. It is not only their alarm clock, but it's their access to their friends. Um, so it's not even just a computer anymore, where at, when I was growing up, you had to go to a separate room to get onto the computer to communicate with your friends, or you had to go to the phone that was a landline, you know, in the middle of the kitchen or the living room or whatever. And so now it's it's all right there. And so, yeah, of course they're they're using it and it's causing them to stay up later. It's part of their everyday life and yeah, we're as adults we're still referring back to what has really become a different era even though it wasn't that long ago, 10, 12 years ago where smartphones weren't around and this has just caused such a a tumultuous shift in culture. I really equate it to the advent of electricity. If you think about what it would be like to live before electricity, before you had that in your house and after, I mean, think about the change that would make from just having power and lights, et cetera, in your house. I think that's what we've gone through here just in the last few years. In those moments when you are bringing electricity into your house, you also are trying to figure out how can you use it. And so you are also, I would imagine, you see the lights turn on and you're like, wow, that's good. How else can we use electricity? And they're also looking at the phone going, how else can I use this? How, what else can I do? You hear not only just going on Snapchat, but then watching YouTube videos and then going to Netflix and, and watching shows. And then they're seeing all these different things that they could use the phone with. And they're trying to figure that out as well. Yeah, it's it's changed our lifestyle. Like, again, I go back to the electricity thing. Imagine getting up in the dark and not just being able to go over and flip the switch. And the first thing that when you'd have electricity in your house, I would imagine one of the first things you would do is you'd go and hit the light switch and turn on the lights. And it's pretty much exactly what we do now. The first thing we do when we wake up is we get our phone out. It's either our alarm and or we're just... Jump it helps. on email, jump on social media, jump in. It helps news. us to wake up sometimes. You go, I'm groggy, I don't want to get out of bed. But by picking up our phone and start looking at it, it, it wakens up our mind so that it allows us to be able to get out of bed. But sometimes it also keeps us in bed way longer than you need to because you are scrolling and then you get into that habit or the addiction of trying to check out the next thing. And so it also affects being able to get out of bed. Yeah, it does. And, and, in high school, for me, getting out of bed was hard to begin with anyway because I was up late. I would just sit in bed and think. You know, I just couldn't go to sleep. I've always been kind of that way. And so I remember just counting the minutes and going, all right. I did what I call morning math. Like I would say, all right, my alarm went off. I'm going to hit the snooze. I got nine more minutes. And I started figuring out, okay, if I get an extra nine minutes of sleep, I got to eliminate nine minutes of preparedness. So. I started eliminating some pretty important things like showers, breakfast, etc. I can drive a little faster. I'm figuring it all out in my mind while I'm kind of half awake. So I figured I'd do really good in math in bed at home rather than at school where I was terrible at How it. come no one has answered the age-long question of why the snooze is nine minutes? Uh, maybe it is to, like, yeah, to help To make us. you think in the morning. Right. Because nine minutes, I mean, I know you can count by nines with your two hands but i became really good at multiplying by nines in my mind half asleep you know oh yeah nine eighteen twenty seven i think we can all can relate to that and you start cutting things out of your morning routine i don't need breakfast today i don't know about showers 
You know, I went from shower to like just deodorant. No, wash your hair in the sink. That was <laughs> that was the thing. And that was like, all right, I can cut out five minutes here. Um, yeah. So you don't need to dry your hair. You can show up. Wet, the appearance right? of a shower. Yeah, exactly. So, so we, you know, we've learned some things, and we heard from students here earlier about what we're what we're hearing from them on sleep itself. And and here's the thing, Jason. We were talking about this here recently as we think about. Our next season, we're looking ahead, but I, I, I think that one of the most devastating things in our culture as Christians, I'm speaking just to Christians here, but I believe Christians, I think there's something within us as believers where, where so goes the church, so goes the culture. Now, other people would say the opposite, and I, I know there's some different ways that culture is definitely without a doubt, influencing us as believers. But I would say the one thing that we've really surrendered that I've seen, especially in the last 20, 25 years, is we have surrendered the idea of Sabbath. We have let that go. And, and you talk to the typical Christian family, and I've talked to many families, and I know even for our own, we've had to really reset in this area. But like I remember Three summers ago at NTS, we talked a little bit about Sabbath and asked students just by show of hands, how many of your families really have some kind of Sabbath rhythm in their life? And I would say my guess, again, this isn't scientific, but it was 5% or less. We've talked about that a couple of times. And I think we have surrendered Sabbath. So because of that, because we've allowed this concept to go, I don't think a lot of us are hearing about it. We're not talking about it. We're not hearing teaching on it, or emphasis, maybe within our conversations or within our teachings, within our churches. And so because of that, I think it really, for students especially, even for parents, it's a foreign concept. That I don't even think a lot of people would say, I don't, I'm not even familiar with the idea of Sabbath. And, and I think what we've got to do is really take a look in the mirror and say, what effects has that had by surrendering, what I call surrendering the Sabbath, and what can we do to reclaim it in our lives as believers? The Sabbath it seems optional in a lot of people's mind. It's one of those Ten Commandments that you go, this doesn't quite apply to me. Uh, you know, it doesn't appear to be a sin uh, in a lot of people's minds. It's not as drastic and have the greater effects, but it does. It has consequences. It, God sees it as an important thing to be able to say, Keep the, the Sabbath holy. And what does that mean? Yeah, it seems like like what you said there, that when it comes to the idea of Sabbath, and I think that's the bigger issue here, when we're talking about sleep, when we're talking about rest with students and them being up all night, I think in losing that Sabbath, Jason, you just said it, that we've we've kind of thought of the Sabbath as like an easily justifiable thing to let go. Well, I'm not lying to somebody. I'm not stealing. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not murdering. Like, we think about you know some of the things, guidelines that God set out, particularly even in the Ten Commandments. I mean, Sabbath is mentioned in there, but we we've kind of let that one go. I think I think your observation there is is really key for for where we're at right now in our in our modern age and our modern world. And because of that, I think that the elimination of Sabbath from our Christian culture is having a dramatic effect on every aspect of our lives. It's because studies show it's we were we were joking earlier. You found a a stat where it says that that adolescents not getting sleep is affecting their acne, right? You know, things like that. It's weird. You would never think that, but like eliminating Sabbath is having a physiological 
effect as well as a spiritual effect. And the physiological effect can be devastating to, to these students that aren't getting the rest that they need, not only on a daily basis, but a weekly basis. The National Sleep Foundation has some stats, some fascinating stats about sleep and teens and all that stuff. And yeah, I brought up the fact that you are more prone to pimples and the, the acne that is contributed to a lack of sleep. And so you start to wonder why do some students have a face that is just so broken out? I know it's not necessarily just directly because of sleep, but they are saying there's consequences to little sleep or lack of a good sleep schedule. And one of those consequences is a face full of pimples. There's a correlation there. I think, you know, then you get into things like what's the effect of a lack of sleep on a student's demeanor, on their psychology, and how they're understanding themselves in the world. You know, when you're tired, we look at the world differently because we feel different about ourselves and we feel different about the world. We can tend to be cranky and grumpy. And uh, it's what one of the students said in the uh, interviews, grudgy. Grudgy. I like that term. She's like, like, when I don't get enough sleep, I get grudgy. (laughs) That was pretty good. Honey, why are you uh, holding a grudge against me? I just hadn't slept a lot. Because I'm grudgy. I'm grudgy today. This effect of the Sabbath is a really important thing. And I want those of you listening, we've got different groups of people, but we want to say something specific to a couple of groups here. One is pastors, youth pastors listening to this. I want to say this, study on your own, practice and start teaching about the Sabbath. We're, we're, I don't think we're hearing about it these days. I remember... I remember a long time ago, this is over 20 years ago, one of my college professors said at that time, this would have been in the early 90s, that that the most accepted sin in the church is materialism. I always remembered that. And I would say today, if I were to pick the most accepted sin that I see in the church, it's the lack of Sabbath. It's just running 24-7. So pastors, I want to encourage you, study about the Sabbath. Think about your own life. Look in the mirror. Practice it. Start talking about it. Start teaching it. If you're uh, youth pastors, youth workers, let me encourage you here. Lead up to your senior leadership, your church, and bring this issue to the forefront. And you're seeing it. I guarantee you, those of you listening here that are youth pastors, you see the effect of a lack of Sabbath in the families that you're working with and students. So here's what you can do. Talk to your senior pastors, your lead pastors, your teaching pastors. Talk to, to him or her about this and say, Let's start talking about this. Let's bring this up. Let's bring it to the forefront. Let's talk about our weekend services and teachings and have conversations with people in our congregations. We've got to start calling it for what it is. I mean, we are living outside of the design that God made for us, and we've got to call each other back to that in our culture today. You mentioned the effect that it has, even behavioral-wise. And going back to the National Sleep Foundation, the, the stat that I find striking as well is 73% of, of adolescents who report feeling unhappy, sad, or depressed also report not getting enough sleep at night and being excessively sleepy during the day. So how that, that lack of rest, lack of sleep impacts the depressed state, the anxiety, the unhappy. And then you start to go, why is even the suicide rate for students and adolescents increasing now? And so we're we're discussing their schedules and their demands, and and yet, are they finding the time to sleep? If they're staying up until 3 a.m. because they're on their phone, 
how that impacts their mental state as well. Mental health could come back to like the sleep because um, if you're sleep deprived, you're a lot, um, you're a lot more um, on edge from any little thing that um, a person could do. Um, so that could be like, if you just accidentally rub someone the wrong way in one scenario, um, then they could just explode and um, that could lead to depression and anxiety as well. So parents, thinking about what we heard just earlier and what students are saying, does your family have a rhythm of, of Sabbath? So we talked to pastors a little bit. Let's talk to parents for a second here. If you're a parent, does your family have some kind of rhythm of, of Sabbath, or are your weekends packed with so many activities that you're leaving no room for rest and reflection? Now, now listen, I'm a parent. I've gone through this. I've got an adolescent in my home right now. She's in eighth grade. My other two are, are in college these days. And I think about that for us. Are we, and we've really tried very hard um, to do this. We, my wife and I went to Israel uh, about three years ago, and going there, it really awakened us to what Sabbath looks like in a culture. It was pretty amazing to see. And so the Bible names the Sabbath rest as, as an important thing. And so parents, what are you doing to establish that rhythm in your family, in your life, and to instill that habit within your students themselves. And so we talked, Jason, about having a plan for, for rest and reflection. Pastors, but particularly parents right now, do you have a plan? We're just going to talk about, real quick, we're going to throw out some, some different ideas about what could maybe help you formulate a plan for having rest, reflection, Sabbath in your lives. I think one of the questions that we should ask is, should our students have bedrooms that are are tech-free zones. When you start to hear how it impacts their sleep and they're distracted and they go to bed later, or not even go to bed later, they go to sleep later um, because they're watching things, because they're interacting with their friends, should we cause their bedrooms to be a tech-free zone at a certain time? Should it be after 10.30, even 11 o'clock, they have to take their phone or their laptop and bring it to another room so that they are not even tempted to be on that device. Right, and some students would say, well, I use that for my alarm. There's a really easy solution to that. Right. Go out and pay 10 bucks and buy an alarm clock. Totally. Right? Gold school. So things like that, making our rooms digital-free zones is something to think about that, that's part of that plan. App control, for us and our 14-year-old, you know, we've got that screen time setting on our iPhone so that we can set what time she's on and off. And basically her phone, other than phone calls and the, her alarm, is pretty useless because of all the settings that we have for her. So that's something to think about. To be able to have the rest from any devices, from any digital activity. So even to not only take a day of rest and you go, well, it's restful to sit on the couch and be on my phone well just take a sabbath from any digital device and go more analog go read a book go for a walk rest sleep take a nap those kind of things so removing yourself even from any media any interaction from people online so that you're removing yourself from any 
drama even from your friends or classmates that increases the anxiety, that increases that lack of rest, the stressful state that, that many students find themselves in. And then another, another suggestion for having a plan is have a sleep-in day. You know, some of us, we, we schedule things so tight and our margins are so small that, and I think about some students I know that I talk with, they don't have one. I remember hearing a student say one time, I have not been able to sleep in for months now. And I thought, that's, that's a bummer because there is something spiritual about sleeping. I know it sounds weird, but in our day and age, it's very counterculture to think that way, that rest is really something that's for the weak. And we need to be working and doing and, and, and all the time. So thinking about having a sleeping day is, an, is another suggestion for having a plan. And then maybe even incorporating naps. Would that be something that is worth questioning? I know as kids, you're like, man, I don't want to take a nap. I, naps are good. But you know the, the effect that it has when a kid misses their nap and how it affects them later in the day. And then you start to wean them off those naps. And yet when you get to become an adult, you're like, man, I wish I had naps integrated into my day every single day. Exactly. You know, my wife, she integrated naps in college, and she never let up after that. She's got two or three naps she has a week. That's I, why I she closes that. her office door. I know. I envy that. <laughs> and the last thing is is think about having at least one day a week where you don't schedule anything. And And again, that sounds so crazy in our world today. Some parents, they go, there's no way I could do that. And if I if I were to hear that, I would go, that's kind of what a Sabbath is. I mean, we could get into defining the Sabbath, and I think we're going to do that later in this podcast. But but for, for our time today, just thinking about what would it look like on a regular basis if on a Saturday or Sunday you didn't schedule anything, maybe except worship in church, and that was it. And if you think about that, that to me looks a lot more like what a Sabbath really is, is not just jamming your schedule pack so having a day where you go just on a whim hey i'm gonna take a nap right now i'm gonna read a book or we're gonna go out and take a bike ride or a walk or do whatever i think that to me speaks more of what having a sabbath is about so we wanted to just share these ideas as as a starting point for you pastors parents youth workers those of us influencing students i think we've got to reclaim the sabbath i think we've surrendered the sabbath now we've got to look at practical ways of reclaiming it so that we can really live in the rhythm that God created us to live in. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org. All right, well, this is the bonus segment, and uh, we have a special guest with us today. I think this is the first time we've had a, a guest live in person, maybe, for this. I don't know. Outside of our staff. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So we are glad to have Chris McFarland here with us. He is a dear friend, and years ago we met because Chris was a part of something called Together 2016, and one of the largest gatherings of our generation is pretty amazing back in Washington, D.C., July what was the date? July 16th. July 16th, yeah. It was a hot one. It was uh, quite warm. Not, You know, interestingly enough, it was not record-breaking warm, but it was hot. What was the... It was like in the 90s, at least, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, I think, 98. It was, it was, wild. It was wild. That yeah. reminds me of a band I used to love. 
98 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Chris, you and I met through that and developed a kind of a ministry connection relationship. And it was that was the formative time for me as I began to process this idea of a big event for Claim Your Campus. Didn't really, I think when we first met, didn't necessarily have a date on it. The date and the year of 2020 kind of emerged. And you were one of the first people I shared that with We because I was just saying, hey, this is kind of still a little bit raw, but walk me through that. And I began to pray that God would send me a Chris McFarland, someone just like you. I was so impressed with with you and your ministry and what you do. But yeah, tell us, we're going to talk about your connection with 2020 in a minute, but just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what you're about, what you do. Yeah, it, uh, it has been quite a unique journey, I think, to be in this space and now the privilege to sit here, you know, just born and raised in South Dakota. And from that place had God's call to go into ministry of which I ran from for quite a while. And, uh, Eventually, you know, God has his, his plans and purposes and gives direction, and I, uh, I uh, took those steps. And, and so for the last 15 years, have had the privilege to essentially coordinate, direct, and lead some major campaigns. For about seven years, it was, was with uh, an evangelist named Luis Palau. Does things globally, spoken to, I think, about 28, 29 people face-to-face. Uh, I had the privilege to be a director for him in the United States in... Started with him in Minneapolis, directed in Orlando, Nashville, Portland, Oregon, San Diego, California, and uh, built teams from the ground up. It's always about the team. God uses those relationships and individuals to do something that is far greater than we could ever imagine. And uh, just had the real opportunity to do that with him and then joined a young evangelist named Nick Hall out of, uh, actually he's born and raised in North Dakota, and uh, joined Pulse. And for the last eight years was with Nick, helping essentially navigate that evangelistic ministry, which was, uh, Together 2016 was a big part of what we did. Uh, we did a lot of outreach events, uh, events on college campuses and things. But uh, yeah, for about 15 years now, God has groomed me through various leaders and individuals and events and opportunities to uh, truly be parts, uh, part of a, a processes, I would say, that lead to these moments that bring transformation through the gospel, through relationship, but ultimately for something that captures the attention of a generation, of a city, of a nation even, for the sake of the gospel. So the last 15 years you've been doing that, you've been a part of some of the biggest events that have happened, and you're a believer in big events. We've talked about that. I think what's really pretty crazy is in our process of gearing up for 2020, we were looking for some direction. We needed to, to bring some people around this vision. And at the same time, God was doing something in your life to call you to really take a step of faith to help people just like us. And um, so tell everybody what, what it is you, you're feeling called to do these days. Yeah, I had really wrestled for about 18 months ago, started wrestling and just telling my wife, I just feel like God is calling me to something else. And really had no concept of stepping away from where I was, but continued to kind of press into that, to pray, discern. And God was saying, I want you to use the last 15 years of which I've given you and to step out and support and walk with others whom I'm calling to engage a generation ultimately. And so the timing of that uh, happened to be where I wrapped up and resigned from my position December 31st of 2018 at Pulse and launched McFarland Crew, which is essentially 
uh, myself and two others right now who are to come alongside and help really advance movements. And so that, by God's design, has been in the space of major gatherings, but particularly campaigns that are truly raising others up in, I would say, mass ways, but through individual relationships that create these moments and engagement. And, uh, and so we bring leadership, strategy, and execution over the 15 years. And that looks like uh, a dynamic that would be at play in an organization. Like, how do you build an organization, uh, not for the sake of that, but for the sake of answering God's call? And then also events. You know, certainly many of us have been at events, but then part of them. And so smaller events are one thing, but when you get to a scale where you're trying to do you know, 50,000, 100,000, maybe 200,000, it's a different dynamic at play. And so uh, I've been just uh, privileged to really be a director of multiple campaigns at that scale and learn a lot, uh, made a lot of mistakes too. And so that's where God has called us into. We know kind of where to go, how to navigate those things uh, when God calls us to step out in faith and go. And that's amazing that You've seen, and, and together 2016, a massive event, hundreds of thousands of people, and now you see what we're doing for Claim Your Campus 2020, and God's timing to bring you uh, around and with us in this journey over the next 16, well, no, 15 months or so, and to see this this generation come together around the, the idea of the school campus for Claim Your Campus 2020. And I've been super encouraged. We spent the last couple of days together here, and you've just been really encouraging me. But talk about your perspective on what's happening with Claim Your Campus 2020 and, and your thoughts from from the perspective of doing some big events. Yeah. As we have sat down and discussed, we did a couple of weeks ago. I know we had that time together, and now in these planning sessions, you know, I am a firm believer that there are seasons where God calls people to action that are uniquely timed that we don't necessarily choose, but God lays on our heart. And that's the vision that he gave you, Jeff. And then the team is rallied around that. And affirming all of that are many different organizations that have already stepped in and are eager to say, we want those middle school kids and those high school kids and beyond to take their campus and to bring the gospel to it. And I believe that individually, as advocates run with the students, our activists, they are able to transform their generation. And we get the chance to help lead, encourage, focus into that. And then what we do is we use these gatherings, these major events as catalytic moments that people can't really give glory to anybody but God for, but we were obedient. And so that's what's going on here. And so I'm seeing multiple organizations that have come behind Claim Your Campus who are saying, we want to rally for that. They are adhering to the vision that God has given, that he's called you to step out in faith and doing, and then he's bringing all of that to bear as this moves forward towards July of 2020. Yeah, yeah. I, man, I I love your passion for it. We've we've been passionate around here. We've been talking about it for a long time. I've been, you know, yeah, sifting through this vision for years in my mind, but... Yeah. But I'm so it's it's encouraging to to get your perspective and to know, like you said, other organizations and what we're seeing with Claim Your Campus 2020 is the body of Christ coming together for a really special moment. And we've been talking about this in this bonus segment. We're going to talk more in the next one with Chris. But thanks for your your thoughts here and your perspective on what we're doing. Oh, it is such a privilege. It is going to be great.